Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of A Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success, or you're already smashing it, but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS, and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Flagship Partners, we're really proud to sponsor a Half Dozen Things podcast. At Flagship Partners, we take road safety really seriously and we're your road safety partnership. We help transport companies with compliance and training across their businesses, including first aid, driver CPC and other transport management services. So if your four's accredited or you want to improve your operator compliance risk score, give Flagship Partners a call today. So the red light, the red light is rolling and... Uh, I've got, actually, I haven't asked permission. Am I allowed to call you Rick? Yes, please. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Okay, Rick. Do you prefer Rick to Richard? Yes. Okay. Yeah, only, my mom calls, only my mum calls me Richard, and yeah. I've normally done something horrendous. <laughs> yeah, much the same. When I hear Peter, I'm like, oh, what have I done wrong? Uh, Rick, lovely to have you join me. Uh, today, listeners, I've got uh, uh, Rick Wenham on uh, on the podcast with me today. And um, I, I can't remember your exact title, but I know you're an inspector. So I, I'm excuse, the inspector. Excuse, of the, the, excuse the dogs. I don't know if you can hear the dogs going off on one, but the, the dogs are just going off on one. Apologies. You're an inspector. Right, my, my, the, I'm, I'm an inspector with the Metropolitan Police. I'm the yeah. lead officer for commercial vehicles. Yeah, that's it. The CVU within that's the Met Police. CVU, yeah. commercial vehicle unit. And uh, and Rick, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. I uh, I first listened to you um, at the Road Transport Expo last month, and uh, I thought you'd done a fantastic job. Of raising awareness of of the CVU and the toolbox talks and things that we're going to talk about in a bit, and I was, it was just a real good opportunity. And a previous guest, James Dawes, I think he was probably a colleague once upon a time. He was. Um, he was. Yeah, James Dawes kindly introduced me. You you were sort of sharing a stand with the CVU and um, and and uh, Dawes Dawes Highway Safety as well, which it, I must say I give him the opportunity again. I think it's a fantastic product. Uh, that he's got there I think it's uh, you know gonna uh, well the people panels are amazing it was great to see the I've forgotten what he calls it the 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 sort of blind spot monitor that goes on the floor but that's oh the, uh, the exchanging well. places mats yeah they're fantastic as yeah, well aren't they really for, good. For, for educational stuff so um it's great to have you be allowed to come on and, and chat to me uh, Rick to be honest but just for the listeners you're able to tell them a bit more about what the CVU is and and what your role is within the CVU if that's okay so, yeah sure so the, the commercial vehicle unit CVU is in the Met is funded by Transport for London um, in its current form we form the largest commercial vehicle unit anywhere in Europe dedicated to commercial vehicle enforcement um, I, I've got myself six sergeants uh, 49 constables and eight PCSOs um, full-time, um, 24-7, 365, um, responding to um, commercial vehicle-related collisions, bridge strikes, uh, and just routine compliance checks. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, with, um, with, 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 with the team, are you, are you working on, like, responding to, to accidents and incidents and that kind of thing as well or is it is it sort of um you know do you do any sort of intel type stuff as well um i've got an intel officer a dedicated intelligence officer uh, and she works she's embedded with within tfl so we look at tfl dvsa and met police or police data 
So yeah. it allows us to target um, the road, the hauliers that are putting the others at risk and putting the reputation of the industry at risk because they're the ones that will be undercutting you, doing the cash-only jobs, but running, as we, we found, and we had this week, a vehicle that was literally held together with duct tape, stopping on the on the handbrake because there was no nothing in a three-and-a-half-tonner's cylinder, quarter of a tonne overweight, with no insurance, no driving licence, but doing cash in hands jobs. So he's taking the money away from the responsible haulage companies. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's a shocking thing. I was, I, when, I, when we met at the, the, the expo, I was saying to you, like, um, you know, it's um, London, London now. I don't know, obviously listeners will be all over the country, but not many of them drive in London. But I drove in London for the Ed Sheeran gig the other week at Wembley. And I'll tell you what, it was just absolutely shocking to me just how... You know, I was, you know, literally, I think the only distraction I maybe had in the car a little bit was the kids in the car. You know, that's it. Other than that, I was totally yeah. on the on the ball, you know, like really on it. But you just literally have to have, to have your wits about you now because it's just unbelievably difficult driving around London. And that was me in a car, let alone in, a, yeah, in an HGV. Yeah, it, it's ridiculously congested. Um, mm. And more so since COVID where people have come away from public transport networks and cycling's gone up. I think TfL's figure puts it in about 200% since the pandemic. Um, and that's like a quarter of a million journeys are made in London every day on a push bike. Yeah. Yeah. And and like e-scooters now, like I saw so many more e-scooters and then I see, you know, you've got the last time I drove in London, just eat wasn't even a thing, you know, no. and now you've got, and now you've got all the guys on the just eat and like, they're, and they all think they're Valentino Rossi. <laughs> they do, but worse than that, like I see them on TikTok at the lights. They yeah. literally stopped at the lights just on TikTok, and I'm like, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, you just can't. I, I couldn't. I couldn't fathom it really because I knew I felt vulnerable in the car. To be honest, not not vulnerable in that we'd have we'd get hurt. But more like obviously I'm aware with the job that we yeah, do yeah, and the training we do and stuff. I'm aware of the pedestrians and it was a heavy footfall. You know, we're coming out of Wembley, heavy yeah. footfall. There's a lot of people about that kind of stuff. So you got your wits about you. But um, you know, they're just so conscious of like them swerving in and out and stuff. And you just, well, you just you don't know what's going to happen really. But the e-scooters scare the hell out of I me. Mean, even locally here, I don't know how you guys treat them there, but. You know, they'll just come come off the path into the road without any warning whatsoever. You yeah, know, just so come across. A couple of couple of the London boroughs are trialing e-scooters, mm. um, and they've got like serial numbers, a bit like the Boris bikes. They're um, they've got serial numbers on, and they're trackable. But then there's the ones you can still buy. Four hundred quid will get you a reasonable speed. We, we've seen e-scooters at 50, 60 miles an hour. Mm. You spend you spend a little bit of money on eBay, comes in packaged self-assemble 50 60 miles an hour solid tires limited suspension and almost no braking they um they're not great no no and um i'm sure you're telling me about a rather industrious engineering student weren't you oh no. <laughs> yeah he um managed to bolt a jet engine a small pulse jet engine onto a onto a scooter it was um fantastic piece of engineering which we which we've given back to him with stern words of advice about where he can and can't use it <laughs> it, was, it was literally fantastic it was a jet power scooter it was amazing 
<laughs> Amazing. No, fantastic. Fantastic stuff. So um, with the with the CVU, you told us a bit more about it in um, sort of when, when when I was listening to you at the at the Road Transport Expo. Are you able to sort of just outline for listeners a bit more about sort of what your, you know, how success success measured for the unit um, and, and sort of some of the stuff that you're doing to kind of achieve that, if that makes yeah. sense? Yeah, sure. So success really for me is um, fatal and serious injury collisions where there's been an interaction with commercial vehicle, predominantly a heavy goods vehicle. Um, seven and a half ton up is really where I look at for accidents. And um, so, yeah, my, my figures are very much on, on how many people were seriously injured or, or fatally injured after a collision with a lorry. Um, so when I took over the unit in 2019, we had to look at it. Uh, or I had to look at it the way we were being tasked uh, and it was very very generic and, and I didn't think the the returns and the, the collision factors were brilliant so it was, I think it was 22 fatalities in 2019 when I took it over um, and it was middle of the year so I changed to a more dynamic tasking um, process rather than being tasked once a month if I had uh, an emerging threat um, there was a building site up on um, in Edgware that we had five people injured thankfully not seriously but five people injured by tippers coming out this site so rather than wait for a fatal we went up there did an environmental study on it went in spoke to the site manager spoke to the drivers and, and he came down it was as simple as all it needed was a banksman out on the pavement yeah. to, to pull barriers across just to stop pedestrians because the drivers were coming in from a blind angle put that in we've never been to that site again so it's it's, it's dynamic tasking um but then if people are aware of the dangers uh, and the risk and a little bit of education and awareness it's like cycle lanes so there's like hundreds of miles of cycle lanes in london and you drive in london in anything as you said there's cyclists everywhere so rather than saying oh why don't they go in there blame the cyclists blame the cyclists because they are our most vulnerable road user group speak to i spoke to the cyclist lobbies and they said well when they put them in the council didn't have a sweeper narrow enough to go in the cycle lane. So all of, all of the debris that has been knocked off cars, bikes and whatever and collision damage just got dusted into the cycle lanes uh, and, and they're forced into it, puncher risks. If you've got a professional, a, a professional commuter, for want of a better word, that's doing 20, 30 miles an hour on a decent bike, the last thing you want to come across is three abreast tourists on Santander bikes because then you've got to slow down or, or dart out without warning. So the cyclists generally feel more comfortable in, in, the, in the normal car lanes. Mm -hmm. So and, and it's getting that across to so those go to the drivers when they're like, oh, we well, weren't in the cycle lane. Well, there's nothing that makes him. There's no legislation in the UK that says you have to use the cycle lanes. And this is why. Mm -hmm. And oh, I didn't know that. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, so obviously I've devised the toolbox talk that I think I went through with you at the expo that, mm -hmm. that covers a variety of topics but a lot about vulnerable road users and why they're vulnerable mm -hmm. um, so it's just a matter of, of a little bit of understanding a little bit of education and the figures speak for themselves so year on year and including during the pandemic when there wasn't a lot of private cars but there was an awful lot of cyclists using the um, exercise exemption and the dft relaxed drivers hours although it didn't need it there was a lot of commercial vehicles and there was still a drop in, in fatalities Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic result, isn't it? Fantastic result. I think um, it's in, it's interesting because we, 
you know, we do we do some driver CPC training, that kind of thing. And firstly, firstly, actually, I made a point. I, I wanted to congratulate you that you're you, you're obviously a keen trucker, and the and the unit, a lot of the unit are all HGV drivers as well, or yeah. have got like their licenses. That's right, yeah. So yeah, actually, yeah. you are you guys really understand you understand the drivers and you understand the situation yeah. they're in and the challenges they're facing. And I think one of the things that we need to do better as an industry, and I think it's awesome that you're, you're looking to educate as well. You know, last year when the new highway code sort of come out and I was speaking to drivers and stuff, a lot of them felt really hard done by, like mm. really, really hard done by, with the way the new hierarchy was looking, um, you know, and um, there's generally a lot of ill feeling uh in the sector towards cyclists yeah um and it's it's, it's just quite quite tricky isn't it that's the that's the thing really it, it, it's not a marriage made in heaven a 32 or a 44 tonner and a, a little wafer thin carbon fiber bike you can pick up with your little finger but yeah. it, it's just about it's about getting in and we we do as much work with the cycling community from the met cycle safety team as we do with the lorry community because it's essentially it's two sides of the same coin so we need everyone singing from the same song sheet uh, and that's what the, the mat as you said earlier on that um james produces he produced our one uh for the expo the exchanging places mat when we put cyclists and even hardened cyclists when we put them on that l-shaped mat in front of our tractor unit and say what the driver can't see you anymore it, and it's mm -hmm. about it's about educating and changing behaviors yeah so i mean we had uh, I, I was moving um a class one a little while ago um uh, and there was a cyclist holding onto my underrun bar on the trailer. Really? Yeah. Wow. That, it, it's, it's all about, it, it's, it's not, it's all very easy to point the finger at the biggest, biggest vehicle on the road, but some of them that just happen to be there. And we've had cars yeah. and cyclists just go into the back of stationary vehicles and yeah. 32 ton doesn't shift. No, sounds like uh, this geezer sounds like Marty McFly in Back to the Future <laughs> yeah. on his, yeah, <laughs> trying to skim along behind. Nice idea, but it doesn't really work in practicality. Um, okay, so we've um, with regards to uh, the the sort of uh, stuff with sort of exchanging places and that kind of thing. What what sort of uh, what sort of training are you guys doing? Because I, I, is it right that you're going into schools and stuff as well, and you're speaking to 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 even like young young people as yeah, well about safety? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, we, we've got our unmarked HGV, and we've all the blue lights on and everything. It's brilliant, and and all kids love climbing around the truck and ultimately they're tomorrow's drivers because it sows the seed and it was definitely mine. I, I, I wanted to drive lorries since I was, a, since I was knee eye to a grasshopper, drive lorries and be a motorcycle policeman. And I never thought I'd be able to do both at the same time, <laughs> but, it, but it, it's going in. And, and again, it's, 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 as I say, it's changing behavior. So if you put mum or dad in the driving seat of a tractor unit and you've got their, their most precious possession in the world, and you stand them by the A pillar of even a DBS compliant vehicle, right? Where's, where's your son or daughter? I can't see it. I guarantee you they'll give a truck a lot more space next time they cross the road. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's it's interesting you say that because like even like Maggie, my wife, she doesn't she doesn't drive trucks or anything, but she trains the she trains first aid, so she does like normal training for first aid, but then she also does first aid for the CPC, for example, so she right. doesn't necessarily need to know uh, uh, what, what it's like in a way. But she hears the drivers talking and she she says to me, 
ever since I've heard listen to the drivers on CPC, she goes, I'll give it when I'm driving, I'll give them more space. I can make sure I hold the kids' hands and that kind of thing because I realise that they can't see anything. And I'm like, yep, that's uh, that's exactly it. And it's uh, I think you've just got to spend some time around it, like you say, going in, going in with the with the vehicle and that, and getting getting people inside it. Do you use so the the vehicle you're using for that? Do you, do you also do like um, what? what we're hearing a lot on the motorways and that around uh that they're, they're called different names in different counties and that kind of thing but where they're using the hgv to to film uh drivers yes. sort of behaving poorly as well yeah so we do i mean i mean ultimately my unmarked unit is an enforcement platform um and when we take it operationally we'll have gopros uh either side of it looking down uh, and and it is it's the only way you can enforce against another hgv because the, the hgv driver we've had them on the phone we've had them doing video calls doing their paperwork on the steering wheel one guy with a knife and fork eating off a plate on the steering wheel um it, it's really really rare behavior amongst uk drivers massively rare behavior amongst uk drivers but it also gives a little look down into cars and transit vans size things so when they're texting away with their phone on their ankle thinking no one can see them you can yeah. uh, and whether it's got blue lights or anything if you can't see a, what eight nine ton daft tractor unit next to you because you're so engrossed in giving someone two blue ticks on whatsapp it really it sells itself as why you're going to get 200 pounds and six points yeah 100 i think um well i just think that mobile phone usage is just through the roof on on driving i think people have got addicted to them and yeah. they just they can't put them away i think it's 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 a, it's a big big problem and six points and 200 quid isn't enough of a deterrent at the minute that's that's one of the problems isn't it it's not um for for vocational drivers certainly sarah bell wants a report across her desk uh and there'll be a little enforced holiday from driving coming up as well yeah and that's that and you're absolutely right there and that's one of the things a lot of vocational drivers we do tell them as part of cpc but there's a lot of them that don't realize that and even if even if they get caught in their car, we've still got to report them as transport yeah. managers. When those, when we pick up, that's come up on their license. They're obliged as part of the policy to tell. Usually, if you've got the right policies and procedures in place, they're obliged to tell the transport manager yeah. anyway. But the transport manager, upon finding out that information, is obliged, like you say, to tell the traffic commissioner. Yeah. And uh, and and they will. You know, the the traffic commissioners don't look very like very. They look very dimly, and they're going to get a month a month's holiday, aren't they? Unpaid. Well, well, yeah. I, I mean, insurance, drink drive, and mobile phones are the big three. They 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 ruin your insurance. Mm. Most people over the course of their driving or pick up a speeding or, or, or something like that. Uh, and no one's really bothered it. This is generally, or oh, it's preventable, it's a human error. But that's a conscious act is to pick your phone up and start texting. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, we had some stickers from you uh, on, on the Transport Expo, the fate, call them the Fatal Four. The Fatal Fours, yeah. Yeah, so what, what are the Fatal Four for so us? The Fatal Four is drinking, drug driving, um, excess speed, failing to wear seatbelts and mobile phone use. Uh, and they are responsible for more death and serious injury in the UK than all of the other traffic offences put together. Really? And do you still see many people without a seatbelt? Because I find that I find that baffling. One or two, and it tends to be it tends to be transit van type vehicles. Uh, again, most companies, and I think it started with Stobarts, put coloured seatbelts on there. Uh, yeah. and that's with the red seatbelt and the yellow the green uniform and stop arch. You can see them a mile away. Yeah. Um, and we don't get a lot of uh, no seatbelt use now, but and, and thankfully we don't get a lot of drink drive either. No. Um, not for UK drivers. 
Is that right? Okay, got you. Is that that's tends to be an issue from from elsewhere, I suppose. Um, so, so some of the ones coming in, especially coming in on the longer sailings, not so much the Dover sailings, but the um the sailings into sort of um Essex ports coming in from predominantly the flower markets. Okay. Um, have been known to have a drink, and we did have um an Eastern European driver try to go the wrong way down the A one two seven a couple of months ago, and was three times over the drink drive limit. He was absolutely battered. He wasn't wow. even a functional alcoholic. He was absolutely trolled. Wow. That is unbelievable. Isn't but it is really, really few and far between. And I can't remember the last time we, we've had a UK driver. Yeah. I think um, so. One of the things I've had experience with is um, that I think one of the challenges is that with, from a drug driving point of view is if you've got, you know, if you've got HGV drivers who like a recreational smoke, yeah. for example, yeah. that that is going to be a real challenge for you because they may, and when I say you, I don't mean you, Rick, but I mean a transport manager, because if they get pulled having had a recreational smoke, it may, they may be perfectly functioning on the Monday, mm. having had a recreational smoke on the Saturday, but they could still test positive, right? Because it stays yeah, in the system for so long. And that's, that's a real challenge. Yeah, it's a different drug staying system um, for different lengths of time. Um, and a lot, a lot of transport companies are now doing their own alcohol and drug screening um, as part of their conditions of employment. Uh, and in fairness, probably test for a lot more drugs than we do on, uh, at the roadside. So yeah, yeah, because I think roadside you use like a swab, don't you? And yeah. you tend to we like so when i've done testing with our drivers we use like a urine sample and then that can get sent away and you can get a lot of detail around usage and levels and and you, yeah. you get a lot a lot of data back but from a swab point of view i suppose that's just like a it's a quick it's a quick test isn't it, it? And, it, yeah it, an early it, indicator. It, it's an indicator that all, if you get a positive and we test for cocaine and cannabis at the roadside um if you get a positive on either of them it will be an arrest uh, and a blood sample that will go off for lab analysis but there's loads of other stuff out there. Transport companies are using sweat wipes now. Okay. Apparently, it's, it's the latest thing. is a sweat wipe. Right, okay. So, I, I was going to say, I've not come across that. The the ones we've used, I've, I've used a company called Crystal before. I think they're national. But, I yeah, I used a company called Crystal, and they came out and did it because, really, if you're going to do the testing, you need to have had some training and that kind yeah. of thing as well. You yeah. don't want to you don't want to just have a go at it. That, you know, so, um, okay. So, one of the things I wanted to speak to you about was a bit more about, um, in the commercial motor, you've um, had an article, I think, was it this week's, I think? Uh, uh, this week's article or possibly last week's paper. Uh, uh, last week, it's a article on the uh, suicide. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so um, you, you had a bit of a focus on suicide in the in the last one. Are you able to tell us a bit more about that, Rick? Yeah, so it, it, it's as of it. I mean, I, I try to be as hands on as I possibly can uh, as as a manager of that many people, and I, I do like to go out to incidents. Uh, one thing I noticed certainly in 2020 was a lot of clearly deliberate acts. Um, by people using HGVs as a means to end their life, uh, not the drivers, actually like pedestrians. Mm -hmm. And um, we looked into it and we looked at one particularly uh, and it was, it's chat, it was tragic set of circumstances. He was in his late seventies. His wife had passed away recently. He'd been told he had stage four cancer with literally no future. His world had literally come crashing down. Uh, and he, he deliberately put his head under the third axle of uh, a loaded tipper. And we looked into it and the impact on the driver. We're like, well, we've looked at local reports and he'd been seen at this junction. 
not enough to cause alarm, but he'd been seen when we'd done a, a witness trawl. Oh, yeah, that chap was there a couple of days ago. I'm like, oh, okay. Looked into it, and then the impact on the drivers and general suicide awareness. And it's just a gap that we needed to fill in, or I certainly felt we needed to fill in. Um, the railways have learned very rarely now do you hear stand back from the platform, this fast train won't stop, because that was, for people intent on ending their life, a green light. Right. So they generally don't announce those trains anymore, or it'll just be on the signboard and not announced vocally. Okay. Um, and then I looked at equally aftercare for drivers. You look at the aftercare for a train driver, and they get, I think, four or six weeks off, full pay. If they get overtime, their average overtime is paid in it. And yet, wow. some people expect a driver to go and get in another truck and, and crack on the day after. And it's That's just right. not. It, it's. I, I get if you're an owner driver, your driving is, is your income. That's your income mm -hmm. stream. But on the bigger companies, there needs to be, well, there should be a little bit of a wrap round to make sure that driver's fit to take out 32 tons because that's a big, heavy lump to hit you if you're not in the right headspace. Yeah. So yeah, we've no, been the that makes sense. Within the toolbox talk, I've, I've, I've used a couple of uh, still images uh, of uh, big road locations in London where I have gone to suicide or suicide attempts. Mm -hmm. And these are the circumstances. When do you think? Uh, and it's very much encouraging drivers. If something doesn't look right, you don't have to be sitting on the curb with your head in your hand sobbing. It just might not feel right. Uh, and it's mm -hmm. very much engaging with drivers to say, if it don't feel right, phone the police and we'll come and make sure they're all right. If they're just lost, we'll put them in the right track. If they're despair, in despair or, or in crisis, then we can help with that as well before it develops into massive road closures uh, and the worst day at the office you're ever going to have. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, like, what really hit me when I read your article on uh, in Commercial Motor was I, I really struggled with the fact that he was just walking along you can see on the cameras that he's just yeah. walking along having a chat and it's almost like he's cool calm and collected by the sounds of it he's literally you know he's known what he's going to do and he's yeah. just gone and done it with with no indication whatsoever before yeah that. it's one of the things i do try and get through to the drivers when i'm talking and delivering the talk box talk is the only person that's got any control over it is that person yeah. uh, and anyone say oh it's it's a coward's way out etc etc and all of that the mindset you have to be in to do that act, that's not the mindset of a coward. That's the mindset of someone at the end of every tether they've got in utter crisis. Uh, and then what, yeah, the guy we were talking about, fortunately, the vehicle had really good cameras. It was a brand new FMX tipper with um, all the direct vision standard cameras. Yeah. And we've looked at it and there's a, a wide grass verge and there's a big footpath. And you can see this guy's acknowledging other members of the public because he was a local. Mm. As, as tippers come up to the junction he shuffled down to the drop curb but he's still a good six seven foot back you can see the drivers acknowledged him because the car the um cab's got um in cab cctv drivers checked him you can see him in the mirrors mm. and as he's pulled away this guy's just literally walked forward knelt down put his hand on the third wheel and guided his head in yeah it's, it was Awful. absolutely horrific for abs mm. for everyone from the driver to the chap's family to the poor couple that mm. were in the car behind it awful do you so as a as a serving officer do you do you get support for things like that as well when you yeah, have to deal with it if we want it we, we we will debrief every incident um if it's particularly unpleasant um yeah uh, and we've got 
quite a lot of wellness and re and mental health backup if we need it and we can self-refer within the Met Police. Yeah, yeah, got you. But, uh, you know, a lot of these drivers, like you say, if they're self-employed or working for a small company, they haven't got the resource to to be able to, or, or sometimes the knowledge or understanding unless, no, unless uh, we raise, raise there. Yeah, and when you look at the demographic of suicide in the UK, it's middle-aged blokes. When you look at the demographic of especially tipper drivers, but HGV drivers in the UK, although it is quite diverse and it is changing, it's yeah. still middle-aged blokes. Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah. And they're the blokes that have been brought up of, oh, trouble shared is a trouble doubled and keep it to yourself. Uh, mm. And that solves absolutely nothing. And that's yeah, why I went absolutely. out and I found after a little bit of a hunt, um, a charity called Shout that are really, really pro and they offer text, two-way text counselling that's totally anonymous. So it appeals to the people that wouldn't feel comfortable with a counsellor on the phone or in person. You text, shout, they send you their terms and conditions, which is basically, unless you say you're going to harm yourself or someone else, it's a private conversation and they won't signpost to third party agencies. And you can have a two-way conversation with a professional that's overseen by a clinical psychologist and once it's it, and at the end of the day, you delete it off your phone. If you want it off, you delete it off. You send stop, and they'll never contact you again. It's brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. I think um, I, I was really impressed. I hadn't actually heard of it till I read the article, but I think I'll definitely be advocating shout because I think that's particularly, particularly for men, that's a great service. Uh, yeah. I think I think generally speaking, and I generalise because there'll be plenty of women who aren't comfortable talking about their mental health. But generally speaking, from a general point of view like geezers don't want to no. have a conversation and you know they're worried about being told to man up and one of the things he said really resonated with me which was particularly for drivers after something like that post-traumatic stress as a geezer we tend to associate with soldiers serving yeah. people who have been you know and seen conflict and that kind of thing and actually that that isn't what it is it is it is when something traumatic has happened it does mess with your head and it will mess yeah. with your thought processes and it will mess with stuff. And like you say, it might be, you know, like you say, you could be traveling down the road thinking everything's okay, but you hit an animal or a bird flies into the windscreen or whatever it may be. And it, you, you're back, you're back where you are. And that's, yeah, that's so the one of the drivers, the, so the, the driver involved, the tipper driver involved in the fatality with the old, uh, the oldly chap, he, he's brilliant. He's, um, I asked him and one other, if he would mind if I video interviewed them for the Toolbox Talk. Mm -hmm. And he's absolutely brilliant, goes through it. He says he's strong and he's over it. He knows the time and date that happened without me prompting him. And that's well over a year after the event now. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can see it's mentally affected him and he will take that to his grave with him. You, you can't mm -hmm. not, no, no human being can't. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was another driver, very similar circumstances, was a 17 year old girl um, run out in front of him. Um, and I spoke to him and he was getting, and, and I ended the conversation in the end because it was clearly upsetting him. Um, mm -hmm. But he said, he went to coroner's court. He didn't have to go to coroner's court, but he wanted to go to coroner's court. He met the girl's family and they were like, apologised to him for the impact it had had. They knew she was ill. They were trying to reach out and get help, but they just didn't, it just didn't happen in time. Mm. And he said, he got over it four years later, exactly as you said, he hit a fox. Mm. And he said, after he threw up violently in his cab, he just got out left yeah. the keys in there and that's the last time he ever drove again he said because mm -hmm. he thought he was over it and he said but that fox sounded exactly like that girl did yeah yeah it's awful isn't it 
as you say, is post-traumatic stress isn't going to war and seeing people shot to pieces. It's mm -hmm. a trauma. And whether it's an accident or not, seriously injuring or fatally injuring someone with any vehicle is traumatic. Yeah. It, it's like, slightly off subject, but it, and it, I think it, it's a good time to share it whilst we're talking about it, because if people are listening and, and, and make them realise what post-traumatic stress is, but when... Um, when I was 18, I was really, I was really poorly. I stayed in, uh, I stayed in Addenbrooke's hospital for six weeks on a, on a ventilator. Uh, I'd had like what's called a, a, a lung hemorrhage, and uh, I'd been, been really poorly, and uh, it really, really had affected me. But as I started to get better, I was in like the critical care unit, and uh, I was seeing people sort of wheeled out with their white, you know, with the white yeah. sheets on them and that kind of thing. And like I said, I was like just nearly 18, and. Um, you know, you, you find out the statistic that for every person that goes into intensive care, only like one in two will survive and one in two will come out and that kind of thing. And everyone around me was like, oh, you know, as I started to get better, oh, you're getting better, you're getting better kind of thing. And at that time, we probably didn't talk about mental health as much as we do now. But that I think that affected me all the way through my 20s, all the way into my 30s. And at one point I was working, when I was working um, for, for another company, I mentioned to the guy, uh, I was having a bit of a challenge at the minute and I was like, do you know what, I think, you know, I think this is what I've got wrong with me. And he, he turned around to me, I said, I thought I've got PTSD. And he said to me, oh, but you've not been a soldier before. So you've never been to conflict. And I was, and I just thought, oh yeah, do you know what, I'm just being a bit of a sap. I need to get over it or deal with it or whatever. Do you know what I mean? But um, that is now it is. That is now but it that, is that, at all. It's exactly a traumatic it, thing. It's that bloke mentality, isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah, but one exactly. of a better word and not generalizing, but it's that bloke mentality in it. It's big boys pants on, get on with it. Yeah. Uh, and you can't just get on with it. There is no quick fix yeah. for it. And and I was going to say, and if there's anything I can say for people listening is the only way to really get over it is to is to process it. And we'll all process stuff differently. And some people it will be talking, some time does help sometimes. And, you know, if you've got family and all those sorts of things, there's lots of different things that will need to happen to get over it but you need to have the right help as well you need to speak to the right people yeah. um and and there's loads of them out there and like you say shout for example sounds like a great thing because it you can kind of it's sometimes gentle steps to yeah. sort of realizing and by by having a text conversation you can start to realize that maybe there isn't anything wrong like the, you know there's nothing unusually wrong with you it's that is just how things happen sometimes and you can go and start to get the support and understanding you need yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all very cliche, but it's and it's in the toolbox talk and in his words, it's OK not to be OK. But yeah, the first stage to getting help is to admitting you you need help. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So just sort of rounding it back a little bit. So one of the things that you hear is like horror stories around post accident drivers being treated like they're criminals and, and, and yeah. that kind of thing. And I hear, you know, I hear, you know. Some you know, horrific processes around some of the stuff that, that, that is deemed that can happen. So if you, you know, some solicitors, for example, will say, you know, you need to get in touch with us straight away because the police are going to arrest your driver and, you know, this is going to happen and that's going to happen and they're going to, you know, they're going to sort of batter them into submission. And uh, reading reading your article, that that isn't that isn't how it is at all. It's, it's very much not the case. And I'm, I'm very, very keen to push to, to my officers and anyone dealing that you don't just pick up the keys to a 32 ton tipper or a 44 ton bulker. You, you've got to go through probably a week of driver training and then 35 hours in the classroom, and then all your CPDs 
um, everything. They're professional drivers. They're, they're as regulated as much as the aviation or the rail industry is. So why should they be treating any different to, the rail, to, the, to those industries? Whereas if you have a plane crash, you, you never hear of a pilot being arrested at the scene mm-hmm. any more than most train crashes. So it's very much, so we, we'll go to all serious and fatal collisions. Um, we work really close with our collision investigators um, who are the detectives that will ultimately own the investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, nine times out of 10, we'll do, we will always do alcohol and drug swiping and we'll do that in public view. Um, as much as if, if I crash a police car tomorrow uh, and one of my colleagues turn up, I guarantee you I'll be alcohol tested and drug tested in public view. So it's open. We, no one can say, oh, they looked after their own. Um, we do that. And then my vans have been purposely fitted with a small table um, and mirrored windows because the last thing you want your family to see or generally is TikToks and YouTube videos of someone going, oh, you can't park there when you're having the worst day of your life and you've got some idiot shouting at you out the window. Mm-hmm. So we will take you out of public view. Once we've done all the testing, you wouldn't believe the risk assessments I had to write, but I've got boilers in all my vans so we can give you it ain't gonna be the best but it'll be a cup of tea or a cup of to- cup, cup, of, cup of coffee mm-hmm. and then we'll try and get your transport manager on the line or someone from your company that can come down um mm-hmm. if it's a fatal collision we will take the vehicle it's it's regardless of what vehicle it is whether it's a motorbike or, or a brand new scania 770 we, we, we'll take it because fatal collisions go into a forensic mechanical examination uh, mm-hmm. which as much as it's a pain taking your vehicle, it also protects you to make sure that vehicle was, was roadworthy at the time of the collision. Mm-hmm. But if I come into the vehicle or one of my officers comes into the vehicle and says that person's dead or that person's going to lose their legs, you then go into a spiral of, of, of anxiety. Did I cause this? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to pay the mortgage? Am I going to get to prison? Could I have done anything different? And you will stop listening. It's human nature. You will stop listening from that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. So we will get someone a as a friendly face uh, and b to explain the procedures um mm-hmm. and again very much yes you will be cautioned uh before we talk to you but then it's, it's what we call the caution plus three so it's you're not under arrest you are free to leave and you do you are entitled to legal advice so you can take legal advice on the phone you're not under arrest what we generally do is throw the you're not under arrest, but I am going to caution you. So it gets that bit out of the way. Cause as soon as you say the, you don't have to say anything, but it may harm your defense part. They think I'm going to prison. Mm-hmm. So we get that. You're not under arrest out. And generally what we'll ask is name, address, date of birth. And were you driving that vehicle at the time of a collision? That is all mm-hmm. we have to do to comply with the road traffic act. Yeah. Uh, and then, and, unless there is absolute evidence uh, of dangerous driving, uh, I mean, real evidence of dangerous driving, like numerous reports from the public saying, oh, that lorry driver was offside down there in the wrong way, mm-hmm. or you failed yeah. a drink or drug test, you won't be arrested. Yeah. You'll be treated as a critical witness. Mm-hmm. And that entitles you as a critical witness to at least 48 hours to let your brain settle down. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's generally a little bit longer than 48 hours unless there's anything really urgent. Mm-hmm. But it lets your brain settle down because you're going to be thinking all sorts of things mainly to your own detriment. Yeah. So, and equally, um, there was a picture of it in the commercial vehicle magazine. I've devised a, a post-collision information leaflet. Yeah. That puts everything you need to know in a concise manner. It's the incident reference, who's dealing with it, mm-hmm. um, 
why we've taken certain things. Sometimes we might we might seize phones. Um, sometimes we won't. Sometimes we will. It depends on the circumstances. Yeah. Again, it's precautionary to prove you weren't on the phone. Um, yeah. But I suppose again, you could potentially get arrested if you were if you were on the phone at the time of the. You were on the phone. You could potentially get arrested. Uh, yeah. And, by death by careless or death by dangerous driving but mm. even so unless there's a real necessity to arrest that person there and then and that's generally blood results blood tests for alcohol or drugs it's still a traumatic incident someone mm. has died as a result of an interaction with your vehicle whether you're at fault or not it's still traumatic mm-hmm. um so so we try and bring a little bit of human empathy into mm-hmm. yeah. and it's as much for the benefit of everyone including the family of the deceased or the seriously injured to make sure the investigation is as whole as it can be yeah yeah no that makes um that, that makes total sense i think um well one of the things i did pick up it made me smile on uh, when you talked about uh, uh at, at the road transport expo during your uh tall talk, talk was about amateur amateur journalists <laughs> and their and their phones at, at scenes of incidents causing yeah. a, causing you an absolute headache um so that that that's obviously that's obviously a big problem, is it at the it, moment? It, sometimes it can be really beneficial because they can pick up um, mm-hmm. what they were filming beforehand. If someone was filming something beforehand and, and they inadvertently pick up a collision, that that that's evidence for us. But it, it, it's little things like little videos and, and people sharing, or you can't park there when you you've got a scene of absolute carnage and horror on the road, and, yeah. and people putting the films up. And, and equally, it, it's 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 why we cover deceased people up it is so we can control how their next mm-hmm. of kin are told because no one wants to know that your loved ones passed away because you've seen it on facebook yeah no that's um yeah that's absolutely absolutely the case mate um absolutely uh, uh really really good mate and um I'll, what i'll do is i'll in the in the podcast notes i'll put um I'll put the details for shout advocacy as well. Uh, eight yeah. five two five eight. Um, I'll put that. I'll put that in the show notes as well. With just a bit more, just I think just finally on the toolbox talk. That's something that you you will d- deliver for for yeah. op- operators and drivers, um, sort of in in the local vicinity. Are you able to just sort of tell listeners a bit more about sort of what that is? And obviously they can record that. It's not necessarily a CPC course, but it is a CPD for drivers, which is very worthwhile and talks a bit more about sort of what what, what you guys do. So um, I think it's a fantastic resource for, for operators to tap into. So it'd be good for them to know a bit more about how to do that, mate. Yeah, sure. So um, as a result of the expo and launching the Toolbox Talk and Commercial Motors absolutely blinding publicity for me, I have to say, um, by the end of this year, we, we should reach out to about 20,000 drivers for the companies that have wow. signed up for it already. Um, Amazing. So, You're a busy man for the next few months. I, I know. It's, but you know what? I absolutely love it. It's the whole reason I devised it. And I devised the Toolbox Talk while I was locked away from my family during COVID isolation. And it's something I've wanted to do. And, and I've started in piecemeal all over the place. But I want to make sure there's a consistent message goes out. So there's an understanding of who the Met Commercial Vehicle Unit are. Um, uh, very much the no surprises approach. So this is what we're going to do if we stop you at the roadside proactively. Um, and ultimately, it's what you should have done is your walk round check. So if you've done your walk round, your daily walk round, we're not going to find anything mechanically wrong with your vehicle. It's just a defects check. Um, how we respond to um, fatal and serious collisions. Um, a little bit of reassurance to drivers that we are not 
enforcement quotes abound. Um, and I really, really hammer that in, in, into the toolbox talk. Is I would rather stop you and give you um, a record of your stock with no infringements on it, because if I, it doesn't matter how much I take off you, I don't see that money. I'm not bon I'm not bonus driven, and I'm not targets driven. My targets are the amount of people that are, are fatally injured. So um, it's a little bit of driver reassurance that we are there to support them. A mm -hmm. um, couple of myth busts about uh, as you as you said earlier on how we treat drivers at collision. We don't automatically the default position is not to arrest a driver um that is the default position that i've really really intensively got out there we don't automatically put the handcuffs on there is no need half the time more than half the time um what tests we do uh, at the roadside so generally we'll work with our collision investigators um, and we will do all the taco checks cpc checks and, and that and we will link in with them um, because as you, as you said earlier on, the mass, vast majority of my officers are vocational drivers um, and a lot of them come from military or haulage backgrounds. So they understand what they're doing, how to talk to drivers and the pressures that a driver's under. Um, go into a little bit, as we said earlier on, about vulnerable road users, why they're vulnerable. So cyclists are the number one vulnerable road user in London, followed by pedestrians, followed by motorcyclists. Um, why they're vulnerable. Um, a lot of, bizarrely, I've identified that pedestrians over 60 are more vulnerable than anyone else. Uh, and it's basically not understanding the technology and how quiet modern lorries are. Uh, and I think that's going to change with having driven a couple of electric vehicles now. I think that's probably going to be a lot of work to do to increase understanding. Um, a little bit about highway design um, and it's a question uh, it's been asked loads of times why don't we have dedicated cycle lanes like they have in Holland and Germany well six years of flattening Holland and Germany in the 40s meant it was rebuilt predominantly by the Americans on the American road system so it's blocks and boulevards massive wide spaces uh, and London wasn't it's still essentially in some parts of London road work roadways designed for horses yeah yeah. Um, then there's a breakdown of a fatal collision uh, in in London involving a tip-up, but it was pre-direct um, vision standards. Mm. Um, and the coronial report for that was very much the cyclist was partly to blame, as was the lorry driver. Uh, and then a lot of it now, had it been tomorrow, uh, the lorry driver would potentially be looking at death by careless driving under current legislation. Right. So it's a little bit about about license prevention uh, protection, really. Yeah. Go into fatal fours. Uh, why uh, why are they the dangerous effects? Um, are certainly a big red flag for for drivers. Uh, as you said earlier, if you get caught on your phone, the traffic commission is going to have a conversation with you about your driving. Yeah. Um, there's some photos of some enforcement that we've done with our lorry. Uh, with the GoPros um, and reassuringly very few HGVs on there certainly yeah. even fewer UK HGVs on there yeah um, there's a picture of uh, an absolute horrendous crash that I went to of um, an 18 ton refrig unit driver was texting and went into the back of a loaded 32 ton tipper and went from 52 miles an hour to standstill in 0.3 of a second and the picture of that is very eye-opening. Uh, 
Uh, and unfortunately, because of the impact on it, the helicopter medics had to cut his, both of his legs off at the knees to, to save his life. So it, it brings it home a little bit. Mm. A little bit about loads and low security because HSC and the DVSA categorization of defects this year is really, really low specific. Um, just simple things that will stop you coming to notice about sheets, lashings uh, uh, and tie downs. Uh, a couple of pictures of ones that have gone wrong. Okay. <laughs> um, a little bit about bridge strikes. Um, it, it's such an avoidable thing on, on nine cases yeah. out of ten. Yeah. Um, and we are still getting bridges hit regularly in London. Uh, and yeah. I know lorry drivers are like, oh, we're going into London, it's a low bridge city. Um, there are normally routes around, and generally it comes down to the driver not measuring their load. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there's also a case study in there again to reassure drivers that we're not out just against them. There's a case study in there um, of a vehicle that's hit a bridge and it's gone over Scania um, curtain cider with a tractor uh, trailer on. It's gone over, and when we turned up, we measured it. And we're like we should have gone under. Then we've checked all the records, and the local authority had recapped the uh, resurfaced the road, and they're taking three inches off. Uh, and the bridge is at an angle, so once he was once he was in, he went in corkscrew effect uh, and put a scanner on its side. I mean, thankfully, no, no one was injured at all, including the driver. Mm-hmm. But it's still a major road that was shut because mm-hmm. we had, um, I think there was 28 ton of manure in bags in it, so it was a wow. cracking job. That was lovely. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sounds awful. But I guess yeah. I guess in that incident, the driver was innocent, right? Yeah, the driver was innocent and the local authority and on their their highways contractor ended up paying for a new lorry uh, and more importantly rail track bill by the by the 10 seconds for if, if we have to close a line or put a line on caution the rail track there be two two bridge strikes in london in the last fortnight and those have cost rail track a million pound in lost revenue and they will look to that company for their revenue back so yeah, so if we can provide a report that says this isn't down to the driver or the company, they'll go somewhere else. Uh, mm. And obviously, the company's insurers will be very grateful. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. it, I think it's all, it's important to reiterate: a driver's got to know the height of his vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. You know that 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 that's the key thing, isn't it? He's got to know it, and he's got to not chance it ever. No. But, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and finally, it goes into a, a few a case studies about um, HGV-enabled suicide, yeah. what drivers can do. And again, it's just encouraging drivers. We're, we're not going to moan. We're, we're certainly not going to phone up and say, you wasted our time. If something don't look right, something don't feel right, then we'll go and have a look and make sure that person can get the, the appropriate level of help they need if they need help. Even it might be just a case of, no, you're going the wrong way. It's, it's back that way. Um, yeah, perfect. Perfect. I, I think I think it's fantastic. And who who can who can access that, Rick? Uh, obviously, after December, once you've uh, once, once <laughs> no, you've got I, through I, the onslaught, I've still got bookings. loads of capacity. We'll we'll we'll, okay. we'll, okay. we'll fit people in. Um, okay. So that that's available um, by if you email me. It's free of charge. It lasts about an hour. Um, it's delivered. It's on PowerPoint. All we ask for is a cup of coffee, um, a telly with speakers, uh, and somewhere for your drivers to sit that's clean, dry, and comfortable. Um, if you email our, our mailbox and you operate in London or in fairness, 
within about an hour, hour and a half drive out of London, because obviously a load of distribution centres and operating centres are out of London that come into London. So we will go out. We work really well with our county colleagues uh, and we will tell them we're coming and they're like, okay, that's fine because we've only got two people. Um, we tell them we're coming, we'll come out, we'll speak to as many drivers as you want. I've got one um, big supermarket company. I'm spending, well, I'm not personally, three days there, 24 hours a day because they come into their RDC and they do an hour's driver CPD training. So we're doing a round robin. They're coming in and we're literally going to process, I think, about 3,000 drivers. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. That's really, really good. That's really good. Um, I guess I guess the question that is putting you on the spot, I'm in Peterborough. Would you come to Peterborough? Yes. That's <laughs> what I'm going to do then. So we've got a we've got a lovely training room. Okay. We have a really lovely training room where you can have ample, unlimited amounts of tea, coffee and biscuits as can the drivers. And what we'll do is some of our local clients who go into uh, into London will get we'll get a range of a range of people in there to have a listen. I think that'd be a fantastic thing to yeah. do, wouldn't it? So, oh, I mean, as I said, it's, it's free of charge. Um, we, yeah. We'll come and deliver it. Yeah, Peterborough is not a million miles away. We, we, we'll do that. Uh, we will then send um, transport managers or whoever training managers uh, a PDF of who was who's done it. Unfortunately, it's not recognised. It's not CPC. Yeah. But it can when you go to the transport commissioner and you say, well, this is what I'm doing for compliance post incident as well. We will do it post incident um, as long as it doesn't interfere with any investigative process. Uh, and we, we are going into a company that are involved in a, a collision, in, uh, serious injury uh, collision a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll, we'll come in post incident. So if you're in the unfortunate position where you're summoned to the transport commission, so well, we've done this. But equally, you can use it for recognition schemes to say, mm -hmm. we do this, we, we work with the police, and we've had this. So we'll, we'll give you that. Amazing. That Amazing. Fantastic. Uh, Rick, what's your favourite truck? I, I'm going to go with Volvo. Oh, even though you're wearing a Scania T-shirt. Even though I'm wearing a Scania T-shirt, <laughs> I'm going to go with Volvo. And I have sat in the Paddy McGuinness 770. Have you? Oh, yeah. really? Fantastic. I... Yeah. Um, so that's my background. I used to work for Volvo. Oh, I, don't right. know if you, I don't know if you know. Oh, that no, more, I didn't but, know, yeah. no. but yeah, no, I used to work for Volvo. So I'm a big, I'm a big Volvo fan. So yeah, when I saw you come in in the Scania thing, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm a big Volvo. I loved working for Volvo because the ethics around environment, quality, and safety. And yeah. uh, I think that I, I grew up, I grew up looking out the back of a old Volvo 900. Uh, which was like these old box-like estates, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they used to have the seats and the boot looking out the back. And I grew up in the back of a Volvo like that. I think my dad had a couple, and uh, Volvo just brings back fond memories of safety. And, and I just think they're always at the forefront with with innovating and stuff. So, yeah, I love it. But yeah, yeah so you've been in Paddy McGuinness's 770. I, I went. I was at Volvo at Hemel Hempstead a couple of weeks before the expo. You know, happened the week before the expo, uh, and they were um, just polishing it up. Excellent. To take out there, but I mean, on the on the positive, uh, Volvo, Volvo, DAF, and Scania have all seen the toolbox talk, uh, and the bit about um, welfare and suicide prevention. They're talking about putting in their drivers' lounges. That's brilliant. They're they're going to take the snippets out, make it polish it a little bit because it's it's done by a keen amateur myself on, on PowerPoint. They're going to. Put their put their magic on it and, and put it out to their driver lounges because it is a, a really important top, topic. So, 
No, fantastic, mate. Fantastic. Do you know what? I really appreciate you. You've actually taken time out of your own time uh, to, to come and speak to me on the podcast, Rick, and I, I really appreciate no, that. And I'm sure the listeners do too. I think you can tell it's, it's not just a job. It really is a passion for me. Yeah. I absolutely love the industry. Um, uh, as I said, the opportunity to drive lorries and ride motorbikes in my working day is fantastic. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it really is a passion of mine. Uh, love it love it and really appreciate you coming in i hope listeners have enjoyed it and please do share it and uh yeah get in touch with rick if you're interested in that toolbox talk um i think that's uh, that's a fantastic thing to uh to get him to come and speak to you about or one of his teams so rick really really appreciate it mate thank you very much no worries pete can i just give you our email address if anyone does want a toolbox talk yeah absolutely and i'll put it in the show notes as well but yeah okay. if, you, if you if you spell it out now that'd be spot yeah. on and then we'll uh, we'll put it in the show notes so if people are listening and they haven't got a pen and paper it'll be in the podcast notes for you to do what, what is the, yeah. what's the email mate it's commercial hyphen vehicles at met.police.uk uh one of us will pick it up it's monitored by a few of us we'll pick it up and then say yeah if you're reasonable trucking distance london or you operate inside london we'll, we'll come out it's free perfect so i've just written down commercial hyphen vehicles at met.police.uk yeah c and the v for commercial vehicles both capitalized but it'll get through if you don't yeah all right spot on uh rick really appreciate it and this no. is thank you for listening take care mate thanks for the opportunity cheers pete I really hope you loved today's episode and if you did please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me my name's Pete Rushmer. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business Flagship Partners and we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.